Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Before we get into this episode of Small Doses, I want to remind you all that we have new merch, new Smartphone and Black merch available, and you can go to sfbbookstore.com and get your pick. We have a limited amount, so that's something that we are doing from now on. We're going to be doing these limited edition drops. I want to make sure that y'all get your goods before they get gone. So make sure you go to sfbbookstore.com. And yes, this is my birthday month, so you may not have been able to buy me a gift, but you could buy somebody else a gift of some Smartphone and Black goodness, and that is actually a gift. Gift to me indeed. Small doses, some help from the hip. Small doses, we're talking that shit. Small doses, and keeping it real. Small doses, with me and Nancy Seals. It's so funky. <laughs> so I am here with Aaron Haynes from the 19th. Aaron, you know, today's topic is side effects of journalism and before we started recording, my uh, producer and engineer were like, oh, this is going to be good because Amanda is always like, journalism is dead. We don't have any real journalists anymore. And I want to talk to someone who actually is a real journalist about what even journal- what journalism even means at this point. Because I think that there's definitely a disconnect between what it was and what it is. and But before we go into that, I would love for you to give some folks some background on your your professional path and journey. Yeah. Well, hey, Amanda, I'm glad we're doing this. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put real journalists in my Twitter bio so that people have that. They know that. Uh, we'll just start from there. Uh, but yeah, no. So I uh, am a native of Atlanta uh, and started my career at uh, the Associated Press, which is the world's largest and oldest news gathering organization, right? And so uh, I was doing uh, that job in Atlanta, um, my hometown and writing for a national audience about issues of race, uh, covering things like HBCUs, the middle-class, um, you know, black community in Atlanta, uh, the black electorate was a big focus of mine. Uh, and, and what I started my career really writing about was kind of the inner, I mean, the, the, um, vestiges of, um, the Jim Crow era, the dying out. Now you see, she just said vestiges. That's how you know <laughs> we dealing with something different. Vestiges? I don't think that's the word ever been said on this show. That's a real journalist word right there. That's a real journalist word, vestiges. So, uh, yeah, so like the vestiges of racism and, and, and um, you know, the progress that was supposed to have come from, from the civil rights movement. Um, right. And, you know, covered the, the election of the first black president. But, um, you know, I was the race reporter. Uh, for the Associated Press um, in my previous role. And now I work at the 19th, which is a new nonprofit newsroom that's focused on women uh, in politics. And we uh, try to center marginalized women in particular. Um, and unfortunately, uh, you know, a lot of what my career has been um, as of late has been the retrenchment of racism in America and um, the loss of, of a lot of the progress that, that I think that we've seen. So, I mean, people that have mentored me uh, in my life, you know, I have conversations with them now where we're talking about the fact that I'm writing about a lot of the things that they were writing about, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, which is kind of disheartening, right? How important has mentorship been in this process for you? 
Because I think that that's oh something gosh. that's kind of like not regarded in the same way um, as it once was. Well, mentorship is critical. I mean, I can say from uh, the Black journalists who have mentored me, uh, it has been essential to talk to them uh, because, you know, oftentimes you're one of a few, if not the only Black journalist in your newsroom. And so you need to have, uh, you know, somebody that you can talk to and, and being able to talk to people who unfortunately have fought a lot of the same kind of fights that you, that you may be fighting in a newsroom is, is uh, very helpful. Uh, and also to have those kind of folk encourage you uh, to let them for them to be able to let you know that they see the work that you're doing, that, that you are actually making a difference. Like that's hugely important because that's not always something um, that can come from um, colleagues who are not black. Right. And who do not know about the importance of, of this work. Uh, but for, right. for, for my white colleagues who have been mentors, frankly, um, you know, for them to be allies and really to be um, advocating on my behalf and to be able to, you know, see themselves in me, even though I don't necessarily look like them, right? But I have the talent, the ability, and the motivation uh, that, that feels familiar to them, right? Like that has been a catalyst for my growth and promotion like throughout my career. So mentors are essential is what I would say. I feel like the reason why I asked that question is because I feel like when it comes to this idea of journalism as a career, um, it's become, a, tell me if you agree with me that the, the concept of what a journalist is has become very broad. Yeah. Like, what do you feel like it is at this point? And then I'll well, tell I mean, you what I think it is. Well, I will say, I mean, longevity in this industry, um, it, it can be challenging. I mean, the, the, the economic downturn um, of, you know, 2008 uh, certainly took a toll on diversity in journalism. And it, it, it's just, it is an industry that I I have seen beat down many of my colleagues, particularly colleagues of color, uh, you know, trying to, um, you know, tell the truth in public, but also trying to keep their job. I mean, that has been a real challenge uh, for folks uh, and also trying to frankly feed themselves and uh, right. support themselves and, and their families. Um, you know, so I is think- it that like, there's just not as many spaces that value the truth. Well, I mean, I think um, there there definitely have been, it, it's funny, like, um, I would say maybe at the beginning of my career, there were a lot more people that would kind of try to steer folks away from reporting about race, like, right, they would say, oh, you know, you don't want to pigeon, pigeonhole yourself by just writing about race, when we know that race is the story of, of America, like, that, like, it intersects with every aspect of our society. And like, if you're not going to be somebody who understands, like, has a deep and abiding understanding of race and racism, and how that works in America, uh, you are not doing the most honest and accurate reporting that you can do as a journalist. So, I mean, to me, I never saw that as a liability, but I know that that, was, that certainly is a challenge for folks who are trying to build a career um, but are working in spaces and places where people don't value that expertise uh, and see it as a liability right. rather than an asset, right? I just feel like it's become more about opinion. Then, well, like, because you can yeah. have, because you can have an expert opinion and you can have just an opinion. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know what, I think that that, the cable news space um, has, has um, conflated that for a lot of people, unfortunately. Um, you know, the 24-7 news cycle means that you have a lot of people, you know, on uh, cable news shows, you will have a panel of, of, of experts, right? Like you may have a journalist and you may have, you know, some, a politician, but you may also have like a political strategist. 
And then you may have a columnist. Like all those people are up there together, right? And, and so, an actor. <laughs> so like in people's minds, like when they see somebody, you know, they see somebody who's working, you know, at a, at a journalistic outlet, like they don't necessarily discern whether that person is columnist or reporter, right? Like that, even What's though that difference? title can be under the person's name. Well, I mean, if somebody's a columnist, they are, they are opining for money, right? Like they are, they are telling you what they think as opposed to reporting on what other people think, which is what I do. Uh, my feelings and opinions on any given topic are not relevant. That's not the point. I mean, I have a perspective to be sure. And I have, um, you know, an expertise and an authority that I bring to the work. But like what I think about uh, the things that I'm writing about, uh, that's not the point. That, that is the point for somebody who's a columnist. Though. So as a reporter, where does the, as a reporter and as a journal, as someone who considers themselves a journalist, how important is that unbiasedness to the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know. Or is it like, or is it unbiased? Am, am I wrong well, in I mean, saying I, that? Well, well, I think I mean like I think what you're getting at is the conversation that we're having in our industry right now around the question of objectivity, right? And like what that means. Um, and I have really, um, I, I'm not somebody who, even though I was raised in kind of a traditional um, journalism environment, and that is my foundation, right? Um, like the idea of objectivity, like I know that that is something that originated with white men, and and when being white and male is your default setting. Uh, you know, objectivity is really easy, uh, you know, to, to, to uh, have or to, yes. to, be some, to be something that you, you say that you have. Um, for me, you know, being fair and being honest and being accurate. Yes. That, are, yes. That's the point for me. Um, and that is what I think uh, we should be striving for in journalism. Um, you know, all of us have Ethics. biases. Yeah. All of us have biases. I think that having an awareness of what those biases are. Right. Like like that can inform the journalism. Um, but but acting like they don't exist. Uh, that's just that's just not real. And, and, for, and again, like I would just say that, like people's lived experiences like that can like ha- like though bringing that to the journalism can improve the work, especially for black and brown journalists in this country. Right. Because, I mean, so many so many of the things that we're talking about right now and this like national reckoning on race are things that black and brown journalists tried to tell you long before, you know, we had headlines and hashtags. Right. But like we were ignored or we would say, oh, well, you know, should you be covering this because, you know, you're black or you're brown? And it's like, well, hello. Like I'm actually somebody who either has experienced this directly or know somebody who has experienced this directly. So I know these things to be true. Like I, I can accept this on its face instead of, you know, being somebody who is like skeptical of the, the, the idea that maybe the police right. do not treat everybody the same. So basically like the sentiment of, of maybe you should recuse yourself from this story because you're, it's, you're, too, you're, cl- you're too close to it. it that's like, a, that happens. Oh, it absolutely happens. And, and, you know, and what I say to that is, you know, I didn't, I didn't see anybody, you know, questioning white reporters who were sent to cover tea party rallies or, you know, the Occupy protests, like nobody, nobody thought that there was anything wrong with them covering those things or, or, or women reporters who might've gone to cover the women's March, right? Like covering that as a journalist, um, does it help to, to be a woman at the women's March who, who is a reporter? Like, absolutely. It helps, you know? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't understand that argument personally. So what keeps you dedicated to this work when it 
feels like there's just like you said, like you've seen your you've seen your your colleagues and people that you um, really trusted, you know, when you've seen them go through the pitfalls and be silenced and um, their work be stolen because they be stealing work, too. Well, I, <laughs> they do. They do steal. They have stolen. LOL. Because that, that, that's going down. Yeah. Plagiarism is So real. what keeps you like, this is, this is the purpose I have to be driven to? Yeah. I mean, look, um, I, I will not say that there are not hard days. I will not say that, that there are not, um, you know, days that are discouraging in this work. Uh, and, and, you know, you're writing these stories and, and wondering if you're making a difference or if anybody's listening. Um, I will tell you, like when I, on days that I feel like that, that those are the days when I really, really want to talk to one of my mentors, right? Like um, I am a member of the National Association of Black Journalists, uh, which is celebrating its 45th anniversary this year. Yes, the NABJ. And the amazing thing about NABJ is that a lot of our founders are still alive, right? And so these are people that we can talk to about what it was like for them when they started. And it's amazing to talk to them about that kind of stuff, right? Like, and so when I'm feeling low, I will call one of them and I will say, you know, tell me about what it was like when you were trying not to get your ass beat, trying to cover, you know, a protest, right. uh, you know, 50 years ago, or, or, or what it was like when you were covering a trial uh, that you could see was totally unfair. Um, what, was, what was that like? What did that feel like when you were doing that? Or when, you're, when your white colleagues didn't believe you or were trying to um, steer you away from something that you knew was important, a, a story that, that needed to be told. And, um, and, and their encouragement um, definitely has kept me going. Um, and their stories about, uh, you know, their war stories, frankly, from, from what it was like to be on the front lines of, of trying to tell the truth about America. Um, like those stories have been very important. And they, and they just remind me that like all of us, you know, we may not be the journalists that, that, um, see the, uh, see police reform really, you know, come to pass, right? Like, like we may not be the journalists that, that, um, I, you know, I don't know that, that we're going to be the journalists or the black people that see the end of systemic racism in our lifetimes. Right. Um, but like that didn't stop out of B. Wells, you know, that didn't stop uh, Simeon Booker. You know, when he was covering Emmett Till's trial, he didn't know what was going to happen, you know, but he had to tell the truth while he was here for like the generations after him that would come for the generations after Ida B. Wells, who would know what happened in terms of the history of lynching in this country. Right. So like we just have to do what we can while we're here uh, to move. Uh, move the ball down the field as much as we can and, and help to perfect this union as Black people have been doing since uh, we were first brought here. Well, first of all, do, are, do you mentor at this point? Yes. Um, I do mentor um, because it's important. And I think, um, you know, for, especially for Black women who... Um, you know, maybe are thinking about covering race or thinking about covering politics, right? Um, there are not a lot of, of Black women, uh, well, Black people, period, uh, in political journalism. Like most of the political journalists are white men, right? And they tend to reach back for other white men to, uh, you know, come behind them to cover uh, to cover politics. But I mean, we know, with you know, the direction that this country is going in, right? Like that we need black and brown people actually covering our politics because that is the direction that our politics is going in. Um, and, you know, for folks who thought that we were kind of at a post-racial era with Barack Obama's election. You didn't know? 
I mean, turns out uh, it's actually hyperracial. Oh, yeah, got that wrong. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, but, but, but like it takes, it, ta- it literally takes somebody um, who is more experienced, who you look up to, it takes for that person to put their hand on your shoulder and say, you can do this. I'm going to help you get there. So like, it is important for me to do that um, because I'm tired. <laughs> I'm going to be doing this forever. You know, let's keep it real. Uh, so, you know, to, to be able to say, you know, that I put, helped, helped somebody to get uh, to a place where they, uh, you know, are able to do this work, uh, that is important to me. So what are some war stories, if any, that you tell them, your mentees, when they call you like, I can't handle it. This shit is crazy. We out here in the streets. They gunning for us. I got hit with a rubber bullet in my temple. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think I do talk to them about, um, I talk to them about the people that I talk to who uh, were ducking and dodging far worse than we were, uh, you know, in their careers. And that's not to say that, that, that um, you know, folks are not in hairy situations uh, out here trying right. to cover, um, you know, Black Lives Matter. But, but um, I mean, seriously, like you think about, you think about the riots of the 60s or you think about, um, you know, journalists who had to go into the deep south to try to write about, Jim Crow and like the horrors of Jim Crow, um, they were risking their lives to do that, yeah. right? Like, like, like they were doing that, um, risking bodily harm or worse. So um, I, I think that that is a perspective that helps a lot, mm-hmm. um, you know, but also just kind of reinforcing for them, letting them know when they feel like they're being gaslit, especially in the newsroom, right? Uh, when somebody is telling them, uh, you know, maybe not to write something or if they don't want to have phrases like racially charged in their copy, you know, and, and trying to push back against an editor to say, you know, like, this doesn't really say anything. I don't I don't really want I want to actually say racist or racism. Like oh, we, because racially charged is like a euphemism for. Racially charged, racially charged is uh, me plugging up my cell phone. That's not that's not that is, it doesn't mean anything. Like it, it really doesn't. And I, and I ask my white colleagues as well, if I see them using that in copy, I will reach out to them. Um, you know, it's not like about me publicly shaming them, but, it, but I will, I will pull them aside and say, when you wrote this, what did you mean? And like, after a conversation, it's very clear that what they meant to say was racist or racism, but they were not comfortable actually using that term. And so they watered it down. So racially charged, you know what, because to be honest, I never even put those two things together, but because because I'm doing the work in my head when I'm reading it of flipping it to race, like oh, well, of course, and, and that's the thing, right? Like 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 it like that term asks you to understand what we're really trying to say, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just making it plain, instead of telling the truth. And again, this is not about how anybody feels. This is about an accurate and honest record, yeah. right? That is supposed to be a central tenet of journalism, and to tell the truth means to point out racism when and where it exists, right? We're not asking you to call anybody a racist, right? Which we know- Unless is, they are. Well, I mean, that's the, unless somebody's got a hood on burning a cross in your front yard, like that's probably not gonna happen in most American newsrooms, right? Like, like calling calling someone a racist is, is that's, that's a heavy lift for American journalism right now. But if we can, if we can even get to the point where we can say that that thing that you said was racist, Right. Or, the, or that thing that this policy is racist. Right. 
um, or, or this is an example of racism. Like, like we have to get there first before we can even begin to ascribe that, that label to a person. As a journalist covering a presidency that is racially charged, <laughs> first, just what was your initial reaction to... Like someone put up a meme the other day, a homegirl of mine, Reshma, she put up a, a, a tweet, actually it wasn't a meme, a tweet the other day. And she was like, and I'm paraphrasing, but shout out to everybody who knew on that night in 2018 when this person was elected, uh, sorry, 2016 when this person was elected, who knew that it was about to go downhill and is not surprised by what is going on. Because there's a lot of people that are like, I had, I just can't believe it's, this bad. And as somebody who covers this, like, where was your head at that night? Um, okay. Well, I'm going to back up actually. Um, you know, uh, five years ago, last month, uh, the president, uh, then candidate Trump, uh, came down the escalator, called Mexicans rapists, you know, disparaged Muslims, said he was going to put a travel ban in, um, had a campaign, that talks a lot about law and order in black cities, right? Talked about the specter of voter fraud in places like Philadelphia, where I live now. This, this, I mean, like th that people didn't know, I think is disingenuous. I think, I think probably what's more accurate is that people looked away uh, or that people were, people were either on board um, with a lot of the president's views or they were willing to, support him despite those views, right? right? Um I mean at this point I don't think there's anybody who doesn't know kind of who the president is, uh, especially uh when it comes to race. Um so I think it really is a question of of who we are uh as a country, but but I mean I think um you know black journalists certainly tried to, I mean, they knew what they were seeing at, at, at uh, the president's campaign rallies, right? A lot of what his supporters were doing, a lot of what he was saying and suggesting uh, to his supporters during those rallies. Um, you know, and so when these incidents come up, right? Like, I mean, when he, um, you know, set, brings up the great Andrew Jackson at Mount Rushmore, you know, or goes to Tulsa on Juneteenth weekend. Like this, this is not new information. It, this is just the latest uh, in in a pattern uh, that we have seen from him around race. That that um, is at this point not even a dog whistle. It, it's a people whistle, right? And and I think that it. I mean, and and so you 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 people are either choosing to hear it or they're not. I, th I think that that's that's where we are. But I think as journalists, we cannot kind of continue to soft pedal what this is. And, and it does feel like, I think, in some ways that, that you do have mainstream organizations that are willing, more willing than they were four years ago to do that. To be more hard peddling. To, 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 yeah, to be more honest about, about what we are all seeing and hearing. Do you think that's more, <laughs> do you think that's more about like the reality of what's going on in our nation or or about the fact that he doesn't fuck with them because, you know, he's been very, <laughs> you know, because at first I feel like his folks being like, okay, well, it's the president. So we have to like support, 
But he's been so vocal about just like, I hate media. Like he'll call out news outlets, et cetera, that it becomes like, well, why are we protecting you? Or why are we even, are we even protecting ourselves? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it was about protecting the president for journalism. I think, I think, um, you know, this is an, this is an extraordinary presidency. It's unlike anything that we've ever seen, um, you know, in terms of race, in terms of somebody who, um, you know, is not all, does not always seem to be interested in telling the truth in terms of, um, you know, how he takes on his political foes uh, or, or the press, right? Like, like these are all things that, that we as a society uh, and also an industry are not used to. So uh, I think in the beginning, uh, much like many of the people who supported him, uh, who were open and wanted to kind of give him a chance to see how he would govern, to see what kind of president he would be. I think, I think the press was also uh, approaching uh, him in this presidency in that way. Right. But, but we're, we're four years into this thing now. Um, and, 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 uh, and, and there is uh, a pattern, there is a record here for us to examine, right. At, not only as an electorate, but as the free press, like, like there, there is a record and, and we have a responsibility to interrogate that and to point out, um, you know, um, that that these incidences, uh, you know, when he tweets about Bubba Wallace, you know, that's that's not that's not an isolated incident, right? Like that that is part of a yeah. long history now of yeah. him doing and saying these kinds of things. Is there? Well, no, I know there is, but what do you feel journalists' role is in this election? Like your role as actually, what do you feel your role as a journalist is in this upcoming election? Fuck everybody else. <laughs> uh, my role as a journalist in this election is to um, to be as honest as I possibly can about who and where we are as a country. Like when 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 November fourth, the day after the election, when we get to that day, I need to be able to say no matter what happens, that I tried my best to tell the truth about America in this moment. That's what matters, right? Uh, it's not my job to get anybody elected or to get anybody out of office. Like, that's not my job, right? Um, but my job is to tell, like, like, there was not enough truth-telling in 2016 about this election, right? Like, like and I ask people uh, all the time, one of my favorite exercises, um, whether it's journalists or just like anybody, if I'm at a dinner party, if I'm having a drink, you know, back when we used to do those kinds of things. Ah, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Remember, remember the, those are good times. Uh, but I, I used to, I, I ask people one of two things. Either why do you think Trump won or why do you think Hillary Clinton lost? And if one of your first answers is not racism, then you don't understand what happened in 2016. You don't understand what this, the, the election was about. When I ask people headed into 2020, what do you think, what, what, is, what is the main thing that this, this election is about? Um, if they don't say race or gender, they don't understand what this election is about, right? Is it about the economy? Is it about healthcare? Yes, it is about those things. But race and gender are not just a story of this election. They are the story of this election. And if people do not report with that lens, um, then again, they're just they're just not telling the most accurate story about about where we are right now. 
would it be accurate to say, based on the numbers and the research, that Biden choosing a black vice pres a black woman vice president would be an effective part of him getting elected in place of this fool? Well, I mean, I think it could go a, a long way to uh, generating excitement uh, among uh, the base of the Democratic Party, black women. Um, I mean, who clearly. Um, are saying that they deserve a return on their investment, however that return shows up, right? Like it could show up in the form of a black woman VP. That would be a historic thing. I mean, there's never been a woman VP period and certainly having a black woman in that role would be even more historic, right? Um, right. But I think like the, um, you know, we've you keep hearing people say, you know, listen to black women, right? Like that's, that's the rallying cry. Uh, you know, kind of in this moment and, and in really since since 2016, um, that would be a way that, that um, Joe Biden could show that he is listening to black women. Uh, but also just really um, the type of leadership that, that black women have demonstrated and are demonstrating, especially uh, during the pandemic. You see a lot of black women mayors. They're leading and trying to keep their community safe. Right. Um, like that's the kind of leadership, frankly, that I think um, people are seeing as effective and that people are saying is necessary in this moment. Because like whoever the next president is, is going to have to fix a lot of stuff. Right. I mean, not just our economy, not just our public health system, but like they're going to have to do some healing of the country. Um <laughs> You know, and it's so, a PTSD and, situation. Right. I mean, and, and I mean, like, and so like thinking about who, can, who, who maybe would be best able to do that. Black women certainly would be high on, on the list uh, for a lot of people. I mean, we have effectively been doing that in a number of spaces, it's what we whether do. we're paid for it or not. It's what, it's what we do. I mean, e before we were free and before we were able to vote. Black women have been the caretakers of this democracy, right? And our vote is an extension of that. Uh, and our our leadership is an extension of that. It's always on us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Where do you think, where, where do bloggers lie in journalism? Um, cause I can't take it. I mean, uh, uh, blogging is not blogging is blogging. It's not journalism, but they call it the news. Like when I see information, is it, if it's not know, informed, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's news. I mean, when I see sites like the shade room and baller alert and Jasmine brand, like these are blogs, when I see them refer to, to their posts as news, I get concerned because I feel like we're conflating. Yes. Yeah. And I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Like, am I oversensitive to this because I'm sometimes a subject of their news? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, um, I think, um, I think what's important, I, I think it is, um, it's encouraging that there are people who want to be more informed and who are seeking out sources of information, right? Um, but it is also, uh, you know, that landscape um, 
definitely has um, some bad actors in the mix, right? Uh, and some of them are operating in the blogosphere, uh, to be sure. Some of them are operating in journalism, but um, right. but some of them are operating in the blogosphere. And so, like, um, I think I think too, though, that we have to acknowledge. I mean, I have to acknowledge certainly as somebody who has spent most of their career in in mainstream legacy media, um, you know, and has created. Um, help to create a new newsroom that um, is kind of um, is definitely trying to shift the paradigm, but also kind of a lot of us come from that tradition as well. Like we have to acknowledge that not everybody in this country is getting their news and information from those traditional legacy mainstream sources. Right. Um, but, but you do, you do what, what you would hope is that people are still getting their news from trusted sources. Right. Okay. Uh, who are um, and who are trusted because they actually have credibility and integrity, right? And 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 are operating um, operating uh, on the tenets of journalism uh, and not um, you know something that is 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 less credible or less interested in uh, accuracy than than you know clicks and. Um, in headlines. Well, before I even get to clickbaits, can we speak to like, what are the tenets of journalism? I think honestly, like I grew up in an era where my mom was still reading the newspaper in front of me, you know, like it was still valuable to research before you speak mm-hmm. that like, and, and for what it's worth, like I, I went to school and since middle school, it was like, you can't say that unless you have a source. And if you have a new idea, you still have to be able to reference. Like, basically, it's like math. You know, you still have to be able to show your work, you know. And yeah. I know that I remember seeing all the president's men and seeing, you know, I'm just like every blog, every fuck every blog, every news media source needs to sit down and watch the paper again. Have you ever seen the movie The Paper? Of course, yeah. Of course. Ron Howard. I love The Paper because, one, it's a good-ass movie. It is a good movie. But two, on a basic note, it's just like we just can't print shit without being thoughtful about it. Mm -hmm. Like, this is people's lives. I don't know what the actual tenets of journalism are. I just was always taught, don't speak on shit you don't know. And... Then I saw it reflected in movies about journalists where, like, you had to show your notes. That was always a thing. Like, you have to be able to show your notes and who you spoke to. And you may not have to reveal your sources, but you have to at least prove that, like, you didn't come up with this shit while you were walking Jordy. Like, you came with this shit while you were walking Jordy and spoke to a person who is a reputable source, et cetera. So what are the actual tenets? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean... At the end of the day, like we, we are seeking truth and we are seeking to tell the truth and to be um, as accurate as possible in, uh, you know, in doing that. And so there is a process for that. Right. Like the reporting uh, is very important. Uh, you know, when we say something like, how do we know that? Right. Where does that come from? Uh, there is a lot of research involved. There's a lot of reporting uh, you know, and talking to people involved, but also, um, you know, the idea of, of um, 
afflicting the comfortable. Um, not necessarily of objectivity. The <laughs> yes. That's the name of my next special. And comforting the afflicted. The comfortable. And comforting the afflicted. But not, and and not not necessarily objectivity, which we talked about earlier. But but um, but but um, you know that awareness of our biases uh, and also potential conflicts. Like is you know. Um, if there's a reason we should, you know, we shouldn't be telling the story or like that a reporter in particular shouldn't be telling a certain story. Um, and then, I mean, you know, um, speaking truth to power, like a lot of what we do and a lot of what we um, write and report is because we want to change uh, something. We want to right a wrong, right? Um, we are confronting injustice. Um, and so, um I think, frankly, this is one of the main reasons that, that race reporting is so vital um, because it does have the capacity to um, bring about the kinds of changes that we say that we want as a society and, and to help. And it is a way in which um, journalists as, as citizens uh, can participate in our democracy and like help to perfect our union. Hmm. I never thought of it that way. What would inspire this next generation to pursue like journalism versus blogging. Because I say that in the context that it seems to me like clickbait has become the drive mm -hmm. for what to read and not truth. Like I feel like truth used to feel like the drive. Like I want to find well, out about this. Well, here's the, here's what I would say to that. Like if you're in this for clout, like that's not, that's not why you go into journalism. Right. Like that. That's not what journalism is for. That's not that's certainly not what what made me go into journalism. Um, if you are a young person who is curious about um, the world that you live in and why certain things are the way that they are. Right. If you are somebody who sees your community and, and the stories in that community and you feel like they need to be told and that nobody else is telling them. Right. Um, if you are somebody who wants to bear witness for people like your mom and your grandma and your aunt and your dad, you know, your grandfather, um, then you are somebody who, uh, maybe wants to tell the truth about this country. And then maybe you are somebody who, uh, would be a good journalist. Um, but that is a process. You don't just wake up one day and hop on the laptop. Right. And just start banging stuff out because you can, because so much of publishing is democratized. But publishing and journalism are not the same thing. Right. Uh, and this is something that you have to learn. It's 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 tricky for people because like this isn't a thing that we get a certificate for. Right. Like you can earn a degree in journalism, but like we're right. not like certified in journalism. Right. Uh, but it is a craft. It is a skill. Uh, and it is something that, that people have to learn because there are um, criteria for doing this job. And so uh, that that is what distinguishes us from people who, um, you know, are just um, pulling things out of thin air uh, and, and, and hopping on the laptop and hitting publish. Do you feel like the clickbait era has had an effect on journalism? And if so, what do you think that has been? I think this, I think this, the 24-7 news cycle and social media have had a profound effect on journalism because, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the notion of feeding the beast, which has always been around in journalism, is, is, is just the metabolism of that beast. Uh, <laughs> uh, <it's> really, 
I mean, it, it, it is, it is accelerated to say the least. So, um, so yeah, I mean, and, 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 and look, I, I certainly, um, am as guilty of this as, as any reader or viewer, right? Like I'm on Twitter, like, okay, what's new? What's next? Like, like what's, what's the latest on this? Right. Like I'm, yeah. I'm checking my phone as much as anybody else. And so like, um, so I think that, that a lot of that mentality is fueling uh, the clickbait era for sure. Um, because you want to, I mean, people are wanting to have something that nobody else has, right? Like people are wanting to have uh, something that's going to bring them to their site and, 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 and for them to become known as like a destination for that kind of information, right? Uh, because, you know, what do most people, back when we used to, you know, go to the office, uh, people, people- I'm at the office right now. Look, I got dressed. I put on lipstick. You I got did. On- I appreciate that. The buttons on my shirt match the buttons on my pants. I mean, it's a, this is my new thing now, getting dressed every day to go to work in my living room. Yeah. People like to tell people things that they don't know. And, you know, um, you shouldn't do that about things that are not necessarily true, but if it's new and something somebody hasn't heard, I guarantee you, like, it's probably going to be out there. Hmm. So, I always say media is king. I feel like folks really underestimate the power of the media in how we move the needle. You know, like you've mentioned so many different ways over the course of this conversation about just the what, just one, like how journalism and media, when it is really seeking to do to tell the truth about spaces that are not being addressed really actually is democratizing for the people like not just like as a field like it it allows the people to be a part of their own democracy by simply just informing them of like these are things that are going on because i know this is a hard-ass country to understand like just our government the way things work like it's a whole job you know to just fathom the way things are getting done Mm -hmm. you know like when Angela be trying to explain so I'm like I I, I can't. I got to raise a dog now. I don't you do. Your dog mom, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work and I don't want to become a mom with a dog in a stroller. I don't. Mm. So, I really got to focus on making sure that you know, I'm raising a responsible dog child. Independent. And I don't have the time to do that and learn all the nuances and the the you know, the little um microcosms that are going on in the beltway like it's just it really is for some people it's fascinating like when i go on love it or leave it i'm always like i don't know why they keep asking me to come on this show i don't know nobody's name (laughs) they're like mueller and so so i'm like i know mitch mcconnell because he looks like an evil turtle so it's easy for me to remember that you know i know Rand paul because he's just an idiot um a lot of names I don't know. I know faces. And I'm like, you're a jackass. You're evil. You're racist, et cetera. And I, I feel like I speak for a lot of folks. But, but that, like the work that, that you want to do. that's doing. true. Like that's why it's so important, frankly, for us as political yes. to talk to voters. Uh, I mean, obviously, you're not our average voter. But, I mean, you are somebody who... In like, many ways like, I am, like, like many voters, you're not paying attention to the data. I mean, like we, we are so obsessed with this, right? Like, I mean, seriously, I, I, I remember, like, you know, you think back a year ago when there were, you know, a million people running for president, right? Um, 
every time somebody jumped in, you know, I would just, I would call one of my friends or I would call my mom and say, you know, mom, who's Pete Buttigieg? Mom, who's, um, who is Andrew Tom Sire? Who's Andrew Yang? Yeah. No idea. No idea. And my mom- I can't super, even believe I pulled his name out just now. And these are people who are super voters, right? Like they vote every single election, no yes. matter who's running. Like, so it's not that they're not informed voters. It's just that we were a year out. They didn't, that didn't matter to them right now in the way that it matters to us, right? right. Like as political journalists, like we are obsessed with this. And frankly, we get paid to be obsessed about it, you know, while, while everybody else is living their lives, right? Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think that, that that really does speak to the need. And, and also because Twitter is not America, right? Uh, so right. the folks that are on Twitter are also very invested in, in our politics a lot of times, a lot more invested than regular folks who are just out here working and living, right? So, um, so talking to voters uh, will give you a very different experience uh, about what is happening on the ground and their realities uh, than, than what most of us have who, uh, you know, get to put on makeup and nice clothes and, and talk about politics uh, for three minutes at a time on television. Well, you do look pretty. Thank you. <laughs> yes, give us a, the white and the bob and the glasses and the lip gloss. It's a whole moment. It's a whole moment. So, I mean, lastly, like, what is what is what is Black media's responsibility? Because I know some people like to say, like, there is no difference. We're the media. Like, there's no like Black media. We're just media. But I have always, because people like to say that about artists, right? Like, I'm not an I'm not a Black artist. I'm just an artist. Whereas I personally. I feel empowered and I personally like plant my feet in like, no, I'm not just an artist. I'm a black artist. And that means a lot to me. Like, do you, do you ascribe to that? And if so, yes. like, what is the difference between being a black journalist and what is the role of black media versus just being a part of media? Because I'll tell you what I get, I, I've been hearing a lot of people ask me like, Amanda, like, what can black media do to really be a source point for what's going on right now? Like how can we as black media be actually valuable in the change efforts that are happening? Because it seems like there's so much disjointedness. Well, I think the first thing I would say is uh, for people to support black media, support ethnic media, because a lot of the conversations that are happening there uh, were happening again, long before this current moment of our racial, racial reckoning, right? Like they were telling a lot of the stories, uh, and not just in times of crisis, but on an ongoing basis, giving a more holistic view of our black and brown communities. Right. Um, and so, you know, I live in Philadelphia now, again, um, where the black press is very robust. Right. Uh, black, black newspaper, black radio, very robust. And a lot of people listen to them and trust them uh, for information. Uh, mm -hmm. which I think is remarkable because, I mean, I, listen, I got my start in the black press. I worked at a small black paper, the Atlanta Daily World. Uh, I love that paper. And it uh, really was foundational for me because um, the stories that we put on the front page of that paper were about black people. They're written by black people, black people in important positions, you know, the mayor or the police chief or, or the district attorney, like all those people are black. Right. And so we're, we're writing about them. And so what that taught me from a very early um, age in my career was that um, our stories mattered, right? And that I did I shouldn't have to fight to prove why they mattered or why we should be writing about something that pertained to Black people, right? Um, and because that is a fight, frankly, that a lot of Black journalists can 
find themselves having in mainstream newsrooms. Uh, and it is a fight that, that uh, we don't always win. And it is a fight that can wear people down and force them out of the business. Right. Um, but in this moment, uh, I think, um, you know, black journalists really, especially in mainstream newsrooms, telling the truth about uh, America to, to, um, to really help facilitate the kind of change. I mean, like the goal of journalism should be to help to end systemic racism in America. That should be a goal of ours, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, um, you know, but, but I think the Black press has, has long been, um, you know, an advocate for our community, uh, not just in times of crisis, like I said, but, but, um, but, but on a regular and ongoing basis. And so I would encourage people, uh, if you are not subscribed to your Black newspaper uh, where you live, think about doing that um, and, and, and support Black radio as well. Is um is there a reality? Like I had suggested at one point, like that there, and maybe this has happened. Has there been a conversation um, in this recent month? Has there been like a? I mean, I always call them Google Chats, but just like a meeting of the minds amongst like just Black media sources and. Specifically saying, like, how do we make sure that we are moving in tandem in this time? Does that even feel like a thing that needs to happen? Well, I mean, I think you're seeing black journalists in um, some major newsrooms that are banding together to force these conversations. Right. Mm. Uh, you've seen that at The New York Times. You've seen that at The Washington Post. You've seen that at The L.A. Times right now. Mm. Um, and, and these are folks who... I mean, this is not a new conversation in a lot of these newsrooms, right? No, of course not. But 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 they are fed up, and they are demanding uh, change. Because I mean, I I really um, I really have to say that it is. I am gratified to be in a newsroom that is 162 days old, where we are building the culture that we want instead of trying to fix it. Yeah. Uh, I could not imagine working in a newsroom where I was writing, literally writing about systemic injustice only to have to confront that with my employer. Like, I, I can't I can't imagine that environment. But but that that, that is what is happening now. And, and, and frankly, I think that that's immoral. And I think that black journalists should not have to do that. And they uh, feel many of them feel the same way, which is why they're speaking up in this moment and trying to make things different, not just for now, but but going forward. And for the black journalists that will come to work in those newsrooms um, after them, right? Uh, they're trying to change that, and so I think that's very important. I, th I think it's hugely important. Uh, but those those conversations are happening, uh, and, and black journalists are encouraging each other across the industry, whether they're in those newsrooms or elsewhere. Because I know, like when Blackout Tuesday happened, people were like, "Now, see, we would have been on the same page with this." If if all the black media had had reported about this in the same way, you know, or if there had been some type of source point that was a known space for like, this is where you go to get the black facts. Is that, do you agree? Is that even realistic? Because I know there's a Blackout Tuesday supposedly happening right now. Uh, oh, I mean, look, that I just found out about because someone sent me a DM, like support black businesses. And I was like, oh, is that what's happening today? <laughs> I mean, we, we, look, we, we are covering this movement. Um, 
but we are not, uh, we're not part of it, right? Like we're, we're not, mm-hmm. um, we don't work for them or work with them. Who's uh, but, uh, with, with, um, um, the folks that are pushing for this change in the streets of America, right? Like, like we're, co- we're covering that movement, right? But, but, but we are not, um, we are not a part of it. And I think that that's an important distinction for people to understand. So like, yeah. But how are you not a part of it? Um, because, because we're not, I mean, I mean like, like this, this is, this is, um, a major like, thing. Like when the CNN reporter gets arrested in mm-hmm. the midst of Minneapolis, like sure. you a part of it now. Well, but he wasn't trying to be a part of it. And he, he did not, he, he was out there trying to do his job. And in the midst of his job, they made him a part of it. But isn't that the reality though, that regardless of whether it's your job or not, if you're a black person in America, you a part of it? As, as a black journalist, you can feel compelled to report on it. Uh, but you, you will not see me at a protest wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt holding up a sign. Like, you're not, that's not, that's not my, that's really? not my role in this. You know, that's not my role. Even, even as I may be absolutely opposed to systemic racism and absolutely mm-hmm. uh, not wanting uh, my loved ones to be, uh, you know, killed or hurt by uh, law enforcement in America. And what does being at the protest in the Black Lives Matter shirt with a sign, how does that conflict with or counteract what you see as your role in this? Well, my role is to report on the people who have on those shirts and hold up those signs. My role is to tell their stories, not to be part of the story. Does that feel like a struggle sometimes? No. No, it doesn't, um, because I got into this job because I wanted to bear witness for those people, and I wanted to be able to go, I wanted to be able to be in, not only just be in their community, but also to go to places that they can't go to tell them what they need to know uh, to be able to, to make change. You're so much of a reporter because you don't ramble. Did you notice that? This is the only time where I really be like, oh, okay, I, I need another question right now because I'm waiting for two more sentences. Like, no, Aaron has made the statement. The statement is complete. And that is that. Silence is very effective. It's very effective. You say what you need to say. You get out. You know. Economy of words. Yeah, definitely an economy of words at all times. I don't know. You should, my, I, I hope my editor's listening to this. I don't think they always think I use an economy of words. The last dose. I'm so glad that we were finally able to get you on small doses. For the record, y'all, we were originally supposed to uh, record, and then uh, George Floyd's services, memorial services, were happening that day, and so Aaron had to cover that, and we are finally able to, you know, regroup and, and get on this this podcast. I I think we've we've seen a lot happen since that time. Absolutely, yeah. No, and this, this, is, um, this is an on time conversation. Don't you worry. 
I feel like I'm in conversations every day where people are like, I don't know if this is going to last. I don't think this is going to last. I don't, and I'm just like, well, we're still talking about it. We're still in it. Yeah. So hopefully we will continue on in a better space of consciousness. And that's at the very least what we can do from this point forward than we were before. So the work that you're doing as a journalist, I strongly believe is at the foundation of that. I really feel like we can talk about action, 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 action all day and it's necessary. But if people don't have the information or they don't even have the inspiration, then it really just ends up being hollow words or, you know, just tasks being done to not look like you ain't down (laughs) with the get down. Right. 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 Like I'm posting this black square because everybody else is doing it. And it's like, okay, but how are you going to defund the police without, you can't go about defunding the police and just do it because everybody else is doing it. You have to actually care. You can't vote. Or even what the idea of defund the police means, right? Like journalists have a, have a responsibility to explain that to people. Now that is, that is a part of our national conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So, so, well on, on that, let's take, take this out with that. What does it actually mean? Uh, you know, I think uh, w- when you defunding the police is about creating financial priorities uh, in city budgets uh, that mean that the police are not going to be the first responders to issues like mental health, to issues like uh, addiction, you know, to issues like domestic violence. Right. Like like what if those resources were diverted to programs that actually addressed those issues so that, um, you know, uh, 911 and everything that that could possibly invoke. Uh, for a black person uh, is not brought into play for people in in those situations, people who want help, people who need help. Right. But who don't want that cry for help to end uh, with with uh, their life ending, potentially. Thank you. That's a journalist. All right. Vestiges. Vestiges. Hashtag vestiges. Um. So, Aaron, they can check you out at the 19th? They can absolutely check me out at the 19th. We are at 19thnews.org. I encourage everybody to, to go to the website, uh, sign up for our newsletter, which publishes a few days a week, and uh, stay tuned for our launch, which is coming later this summer. And I'm super, super excited about that as we are also about to celebrate the centennial of the 19th Amendment, which guaranteed the right to vote for some women, but not all women. So we definitely can have another conversation about that if you want. But um <laughs> There's that. Thank you all. Thank you, Aaron. And make sure you go out there and keep on reading and keep on voting and keep on supporting real journalism that is rooted in actual information. You can get your kicks other places, but, you know, a balance, a balance. Balance is good. Balance is good. And if you see my Twitter feed, you know, I believe that. So, all right. <laughs> Thanks, Amanda. Bye, Joy. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate you for being a ratchetemic. You got it. Exactly. Exactly. That is that is also my Twitter bio now. So you got it. Peace. See you in the group chat. See you in the group chat. A podcast network.